Welcome to Danny Houlihan's Irish Experience Podcast. Join Danny on a journey through the historical island of Ireland, its people and the wild Atlantic way, which is Ireland's last frontier. Experience the music and the culture that makes up the longest coastal driving route in the world. Now, please welcome your host, Danny Houlihan. Welcome to the Wild Atlantic Way. A studio of Welcome once more to my Irish experience here along the banks of the Shannon River in North Kerry Island. I hope you're all keeping well and safe. In this episode, which is just the beginning, I will travel back to a period in my own area, which is not often spoken of. In fact, it has been consigned to the pages of a closed history in the minds of our people. Confined to the past, not to be spoken of, this period is the Great Holocaust of 1846-47-48 onwards, commonly known in Ireland as the Great Famine, and a shipwreck and a ship called the Sea Lark. I will, during my extensive research, introduce you to more history and information on the period as time goes on which will build up a picture for you of a period our ancestors had to endure and the immigration that followed. This true account is set with the Holocaust at its full tempest in the Ballier, Kilehene, Ballybunnan, Rahunok, Drummond, Gutnesgehe, Ilkondi, Dune areas in 1846. The greedy, bloodthirsty landlords, both male and female, who set into motion the mass extermination and ruin of thousands of our local people and annihilated our precious Irish language and scattered our people to the four corners of the globe, or at their best, with wolfish avidity, clearing and enlarging their estates in the area. If you are tuned into my podcast in America, Canada, Australia and other countries, this would be of extreme interest to you as this will give you one of the many aspects of the period. The thought of thousands of people dying along the coastline of Ballybunion to the mouth of the Cashin River, Bally, and inland to all townlands in the area is unimaginable. But it did happen. And it's fact. To deny the shrieks and cries of the dying young hungry children, men, women, Sometimes the women pregnant and infirm old people were evicted on cold winter's days and nights, their houses not just knocked, but levelled under the watchful eye of the local military. To forget them would be an insult to their memory. One can just imagine the handful of survivors who had the thoughts of guilt and sadness on their minds forever to the day they died and others that went to the workhouse in Listole. This place was known as, quote, a passport to eternity, unquote. Meaning, you went into the place, you never came out. The end result was a mass grave in Templebourne, where you were dumped into quicklime and forgotten forever. For those who were not able to be buried in Templebourne, 
were covered with sand in the local sand dunes, ditches, dikes, never to be seen again. But over the years, a few bones have been found. Our home, our place. Thus was the fate of our ancestors, who were Irish speakers and native Oireachtas Connors. From my extensive research of the period, there was severe bad weather during the years of the Holocaust or famine. With many ships being wrecked along the coastline of what is the modern Ballybunion, or Long Strand, the townlands facing the sea were Kilhenna, Ballyea, Ballybunion. This story will give you a glance of the place and the people and the circumstances that surrounded the ill-fated ship called the Sea Lark, and what transpired on the Golden Strand, south of Ballybunion. Along the coastline of Ballybunion and to the south of the resort. To the right facing the Shannon Estuary is a stretch of limestone rock dating back to the Cabernetus period of our Earth's history. The rocks are called the Black Rocks locally and stretch for a length and skirt the coastline of the famous seaside resort. In fact, the proper name is Lackboy or Lackboy or the Yellow Rock, taking its name from the yellow mud which once flowed from the high cliffs overlooking this outcrop of rock. In bygone times, there was a large quarry stretching from the Black Rocks back to where the site of the old Protestant church was. It's now a car park, but was blown out of it over the centuries. Evidence of this are blast holes from the black powder in the rocks. Another day's story I'll deal with. The bay beyond, what we call the Yellow Point, was called Canuckanine Bay, which took its name from the highest sand dune in the Santals. It still remains, but has been reduced in size by the golf course for a once fairway and green, at one time known as the Twelfth. This vantage point gave locals a great view of the area and a great spot to watch ships in trouble and the Shannon Estuary. Between this bay and the mouth of the Cashin River was a treacherous place in olden days for ships to go aground. The limestone outcrop was not high, but it caused mayhem if a ship went near the area in a high tide. On a Friday night, 27th of November, 1846, the newly built ship, named the Sea Lark, was making her way from the Shannon Estuary from Askeaton to Tralee under the command of Captain Hutchinson and four crew. The weather deteriorated as the ship made its outward voyage beyond Loop Head. The Sea Lark was capsized by a massive squall in what was described in the newspapers of the time as a dreadful gale, which was bearing from the north-northeast that had set in from the sea on that fateful Friday night. The captain and his crew, who had tried to save the ship, were lost on that fateful night, and that of a cabin boy. From the past it has been related, he and his crew held fast on the boat with all hands on deck during the gale, until it was overturned. However, the cabin boy took refuge in the cabin of the sea lark and was trapped. The crew of the sea lark, according to newspapers of the period, 
who met their untimely death that night were Captain Hutchinson, Master, McCarthy, mate, two other crew with the surnames of Meskel, another man by the name of Mooney. The cabin boy was that of an O'Brien. The Sea Lark's cargo was 70 tons of flour, barrels of salted pig, meal, oatmeal and bran. The ship was newly built a year previously in Tralee by Norris Russell, according to newspaper clippings of the time. Mentioned in the newspapers of the time, wholesale plunder of the Sea Lark. It is Saturday, 28th of November, 1846, mentioned in the Kelly Sentinel and other newspapers. In the area of Ballybunion, Ballyake and Kilhenna, the rumour of a shipwreck on the rocks spread like lightning around the old stone clock arms and thatched houses of the year. Those who could muster some energy together made their way to the high sandals to view the ship in distress. The sea lark had made its way on the coming tide onto the Ballyay side of the strand, just above an area where another ship had gone aground previously. Local people of the area were very hungry and dying at the time, being at the height of the great holocaust or famine, with little or no food in them. Despite the operation of a massive fishery on the Cashin, only metres from where they lived, and grain sheds full to the roof of grain. This was backdropped by the regular evictions by greedy absentee landlords from London, who sent in their bailiffs and local military, levelling the old houses in the area, leaving many homeless, men, women, children, old and those with disabilities. All were local people who once were respectable small tenants who now had to resort to begging. Many took shelter in the high sand dunes to the west after being evicted under the orders of the landlords and local military who took their names of those daily evicted. So if you were caught on your former farm after the eviction, you suffered the wrath of the law. You were regarded as a trespasser. The arrival of any ship in the area posed an opportunity and much wanted food. With any wreck, it had its dangers and risks to life. Many were often drowned. Our people were sick, hungry and dying and took the risk. It has been related that as many people that could muster carts and animals were on the sandals that night. Figures are in excess of a thousand souls, were poised and ready to make a raid on the stricken sea lark. Limerick Chronicle newspaper of the time reported, quote, So impatient were the people on the shoreline, or to come at this cargo, rode out on horseback with hatchets to commence the attack, unquote. Along the coastline, locals claim many a cargo often from ships in private ownership, and often fights, fisticuffs and deaths transpired, highlighting the seriousness of the period. The hungry locals could not wait any more and moved in on the lark rapidly. The tide was still around the sea lark. Many locals braved the cold waters of Ballyay and Ballybunnan and made their way to the wreck, armed with knives and hatchets and other tools, to attempt a breach in the hull of the ship and gain access to his precious cargo. However, this proved useless 
as the Sea Lark was a strong little ship. It took the hungry locals three hours to make the first breach. Then six large holes were made by hatchets and knives in both sides of the Sea Lark and Bow. Once the first breach was made, the bags of flour started to come out, which I have to say, according to the history notes of the time, one of Russell's men, who were there, stated that they were bone dry even after the ship was turned on her keel. Once the sight of the flour was seen by the hungry eyes of the starving local people, weapons were raised, such as knives and hatchets, were waved at each other. The potential riot ceased, as somebody shouted and made it clear, there is plenty for us all. Up to a hundred carts of all descriptions had assembled on the strand, awaiting the breach in the ship. Quickly they made their way to the waterline and proceeded to fill up their loads of flour and bran. Starving locals who could muster up some strength helped each other to move bag after bag off the stricken sea lark to the awaiting carts. Even the mast and rigging was quickly stripped from the sea lark and spirited away, more than likely used as roofing for some poor evicted tenant in the shade of the sand dunes. All under the watchful eye of the coast guards and Christopher Julian, justice of the peace of the time, who were on the wreck of the sea lark. From the newspapers of the time, we get a sense of the scene. Quote, At this time, Mr. Christopher Julian, J.P., Justice of the Peace of Tullamore, with a small party of police and coast guards, were on board the steamer for protection. Unquote. That night saw the arrival of a small police force under Bulger, as well as representatives of Mr. Russell to the Sea Lark. Nothing could be done due to the sheer numbers of the people assembled. Representatives of the owner pleaded in vain with locals not to take the cargo, as he stated it was en route to Tralee for those who needed it. The starving locals were not believing this, as they had seen many a ship fully laden with flour and beef passing out through the Shannon estuary with food to feed England. George Hewson, J.P. of Innesmore and local landowner, arrived on the scene with a number of police. However, he could not help the situation of plunder and made a statement on the day. Quote, It's a pity to be breaking up such a lovely new boat. Unquote. More and more hungry evicted people now attacked the ship into the darkness of the night. As the tide rose again, they waited in the sand dunes patiently for the dawn to rise over Knuckanore Hill to attack again. Just before the arrival of the military, Several arrests were made of parties carrying away a flower in the most open and daring manner. I notice not many arrests the evening before. That morning, which was a Friday, around nine o'clock, the arrival of 50 of the 77th Depot arrived on the strand near the Sea Lark. However, it was too late to stop the looting, which I recommenced with angry haste. At this stage, and it should be noted, as an indication of the large population of the area, over 4,000 people were on the strand at that time, ripping in to what remained of the sea lark. Timber planks, anything wooden that could be removed was taken away into the morning air, again to be used in sheds, houses, covering the poor and starving, and much wanted firewood. Now, at this point, I must mention, which shows how word of mouth versus fact newspapers 
can relate history. I was related many years ago the story of the ship, and I was told that the captain survived, as well as the cabin boy. On the morning after the wrecking, the captain arrived with the boy, who had been put up the night previously in Ballybunion. The captain looked at the ship, and according to this story, looked very sad, and on seeing his stricken ship, he quoted, O lark, O lark, your nest has been robbed. Noting the historical information, stating that the 77 depot was there, clearly the military was under the command of a captain. Was this the man in the company of some young poor boy on that day who stated, O lark, O lark, your nest has been robbed? We will never know. Investigations and arrests were made. 30 were caught looting its cargo in the hull of the sea lark and was described, quote, thieving in the most daring manner, unquote. A Limerick newspaper of the time quoted one event, quote, One house in Ballybunnan searched, yielded £20 worth of flour, and close to it, a carcass of beef and five tubs of pigs. This man was not going to starve, unquote. From the newspaper of the time, it stated that no charge was preferred against the person, as no evidence of ownership could be proven. The consignment was left to the person without charge. The question I pose is, why were the bags of flour not marked by the company or the rest made? Newspapers blame rich local farmers for losing the ship. Well, there is a problem here. Most of the local small tenant farmers were evicted by the absentee landlords and were starving and poor. Rich farmers did not exist in the Ballybunnan Beale Kilconley area at that time. It was under the control of the absentee landlords. It is not known what happened to the captain and the crew. I will continue to research this. Were they found coffined and brought to Tralee for burial? During the wrecking of the sea lark, the body of the cabin boy O'Brien was found, dead in the cabin. According to local sources, he was quite dry when found and was removed by George Gunn, J.P., who went to the wreck and brought the young boy's remains to a building in the town used as a slaughterhouse until an inquiry was held. The result of the inquiry was that O'Brien died of suffocation. Thus the boy survived the upturning of the sea lark. He was, according to the newspapers of the time, coffined and brought to Tralee for burial. However, one local story, which is mentioned in the papers of the time and matches another story I came across many years ago, is that as O'Brien lay at rest at night in the slaughterhouse, some local idiot came up the laneway and removed the child's boots. Obviously the times were so poor that the person needed them. This was related to me many years ago by the late Morris Clark of Ballybunion. A unique story. The incident on the strand of Ballybunion on those fateful days in 1846 paints a sad picture and a true picture of the climate of the area at that time during the great Irish Holocaust of 1846 and 1847, and many years after. The once proud tenants of my area were forced into starvation, acquiring what they could from shipwrecks along the shoreline, like the sea lark, to feed their starving young families, who, by not their fault, were reduced to beggary in a hostile place where once they were respectable people farming their lands. Backdropped by the wolfish avidity of greedy shark absentee landlords 
were actively watching their moment when a tenant was so weak to evict with sweet vengeance their once loyal tenants from their lands, dead by starvation and immigration. It is quite clear from the evidence I have researched that the authorities such as the Coast Guards were present on the day with police and military. When they arrived even late on the scene, they did not open fire this time. Due to the climate surrounding the sea lock, which was the survival of a starving community now on the brink of annihilation and forced immigration. A year later would see still more rising evictions and exterminations by greedy shark landlords who would finally rid the lands of Ballier, Kilehene, Ballybonian, Kilconley, Rahonok, Konokonor, Gutnishkehe of its native people, thus widening their fields to fatten cows, not crops. And last but not least, the extermination of our precious Irish language, now gone forever. A quotation from the period by the late Father Matthias McMahon, CC, local curate, in the Nation newspaper, quote, Exterminations to an appalling extent have been systematically pursued here for years. Entire villages have disappeared before it, dated 28th of April, 1850, unquote. The sea drives home to us all what happened in those long-forgotten days. Not just the failure of a potato crop during those years, as there was a large salmon fishery in Ballier at that time. Exporting fish in boxes of 50 pounds in weight, iced and salted to feed the rich and affluent person's table. Also, large grain sheds were in the area, full to the roof of grain. The landlords here were a greedy bunch, and would not allow the locals to fish. If caught with a salmon in a person's possession, eviction would follow. Out into the cold night air, out into the cold night air, your family would have gone to die. The spirit of our people was not broken then, or ever will be broken. The few who got out and took the famine ship, like the Ginny Johnson to Quebec, and other destinations were all a success building up famous countries like the United States of America, Canada, England, Australia, just to mention a few. And we must remember that they first had to overcome the language barrier, which they did, and established themselves well and were successful. Having to take the drastic steps to feed their families from the cargo of the sea lark on the long strand near Ballybonian, to becoming so successful that you all are now. We are proud of you here. Each year so many of you make the journey back here to meet me in Ballybunion. I'm delighted to see you all, always. And the stories you have related to me over the last 30 years of how successful your families have become. You've honoured your people and those who sadly perished. I will feature your stories in due course, so keep them coming in. If you have any stories or think you might have ancestors that came from this area, please, please do not hesitate to email me. My email is dannypiper761 at gmail.com. Now, during the course of this episode, I have mentioned the word exterminations. Sharks. These are the words that were used by the lay Catholic curate of the area, Matthias McMahon, of the period. They're not Danny Hulhan's words, but these are the words of people who lived through the period. Indeed, it was a holocaust, a famine, you have no food, you have no water. But in this area, you had food and you did have water. Before I leave, I will say this. 
The old tattered book with the dark faded pages is open now. We have to speak of what happened and where our people went to. Is there anyone out there with ancestry from this area? When our people went on board the Ginny Johnson in Tralee those bygone days and stood on that pier prior to boarding, they would have looked back in the direction of Ballybunion, Ballye, Kilihena and wondered would they ever make the journey back. Sadly, no. But for those of you who have returned, forever, ever and ever, it will always be Destination Ballybunion. Bye for now, Slán. Thanks for listening to our show. Through its people, its heritage and its rugged coastline, this is truly Danny Houlihan's Irish experience. Bye for now.